I just it's just so depressing. We have no opposition. We have no yeah. third party. We have no press. We have no we we have no pe- we have no like what happened to backbench rebellions? Why why can't the Tory party just rebel? Jeremy Corbyn. What's he got to do with this? No, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm saying he it's like... is backbench. That's what would bank. That's what backbench rebellion used to be. Welcome to the Not Bane Podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines, and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. Welcome to this week's show. We have a different format this week. Parliament was not sitting, so we have no review of Prime Minister's questions, I'm afraid. However, we will be back next week with our next roundup of the Boris B. Keith tete-a-tete. However, this week, what we will be discussing is the following. So we'll be looking at some scandalous revelations which have come out from Buckingham Palace this week. Apparently, the Queen's household did not employ, officially went on record as not employing, quote, coloured people back in the 60s. So we'll be looking at that. We'll also be talking about the Islamophobia report in for the Conservative Party. And lastly, we'll be going back to scandals because we've got another scandal this week, cash for peerages. Uh, we've got a, a, a new member of the House of Lords who conveniently, straight after he was raised to the House, donated a large sum of money to the Conservative Party. So first we're going to be looking at her Royal Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Is it the second? Is she number two? Yeah, her. Corey's fave, uh, being opposed to employing uh, foreign immigrants and uncoloured people to work in any clerical roles outside. They were only employed to do domestic work. And then I believe after the 1990s, some were awarded some sort of clerical roles at some point. Um, anything higher than that, I don't believe has been awarded to them even now. So uh, seeing as she's your fave, why don't you start us off, Corey? Okay, so two corrections. It's Her Majesty, not Her Royal Majesty. You sound like an American who doesn't know how monarchy no works. And secondly, no she's not my... I don't know how the monarchy works. And secondly, secondly, she's not my fave. So, okay. Uh, we can, go and tell us who your fave is. We can dispense with this whole thing from the start. She's your fave. Like, mm, anyway. Don't be ashamed to be a Repub- um, to be a, a monarchist. Anyway, uh, yes, you right as you rightly said, uh, the Guardian, the Guardian, the Guardian have their foot on the neck of the royal household. They're doing as this, they should. Viva la is, revolution! <laughs> this is part of an ongoing investigation into the royal family's use of um, a bunch of things, including. Uh, something consent, we'll talk, right? we'll speak about. Yes, something called the Queen's consent, which is essentially some. Uh, uh, essentially, the Queen can basically block discussion in Parliament if the if if it's if what's being proposed directly affects her and her private interests. So, the Guardian have been doing uh, this from. Well, no, uh, but but it's also that uh, everyone consistently says that it's purely a ceremonial role, and she doesn't have any input in the implementation of laws and it's come to light yeah that's why yeah that's why that's does. why what they're doing is uh is pretty important um so as i'm saying it's part, of, yeah, it's part of an ongoing investigation anyway the particular headline that hit this week was um the person the keeper of the privy purse which is basically her bank manager um back in the 60s in the late 60s one day when 
there were a few laws going through Parliament at the time with regards to race relations, because at the time, um, you know, anybody who most people don't need a history lesson, race relations in the UK were at probably their most feverish in the 60s. And there were a few uh, race relations acts which went through to, to ban, essentially ban discrimination in certain areas, whether it was employment um, or housing and other areas as well. So we have something here from this guy basically who managed the queen's finances as part of this back and forth when as i said the queen's consent this is where uh, the queen is notified and she can block discussion in parliament if a law uh, essentially infringes on what she does as a private person or even as an institution so as part of this back and forth back then her there was you know you've got civil servants talking to her guy who manages her finances and as part of those discussions i will read what he said he said clerical and other office posts to which it was not in fact the practice to appoint colored immigrants or foreigners and ordinary domestic posts for which colored applicants were freely considered but which would in any event be blah 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 so essentially this was somebody within the palace high 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 echelons of the palace basically saying yeah we don't employ the blacks and the browns in any kind of clerical or office role they can clean if they want but we don't employ them in anything else. Um, the, the the royal household did not note down as part of their hiring process people's ethnicity and their background, their racial background until the 90s. So we don't have anything before the 90s to say, to sort of measure how they were employing people. Um, but there we have it from the horse's mouth. Uh, we, don't we, we, we don't employ the blacks and the browns in any clerical roles. Um, sorry, go ahead. You want to say something? No, I just wanted to push back on the um, the Queen's consent pertaining to uh, laws which um, will directly affect her, whereas actually it's where it's laws that she may interpret that could affect her or she doesn't want to affect her, rather than like she will only um, step in on laws which might affect her. It's up to her whether she decides the laws will affect her or not. Or she thinks it's something that's important that will affect her, and then she can step in because she gives consent to every law that's passed, not just ones that affect her. No. Well, yes. So technically, so, she so could I, have input on any law. Well, so you, I think you're conflating two different things. So yeah, what you're talking about there is royal assent. So any law, every single law that passes through Parliament, the, the last stage is basically to get the assent, the royal assent. So the Queen basically rubber stamps and say yes, this can be law. That's one thing. The consent issue. As we, as we were saying, is where she can actually stop it earlier on in the process. This is like this is when it's in in going through Parliament, the, the, the debates in Parliament. So this is much earlier in the process. But she's um, actually gotten involved in some where they've gone through the process in Parliament already and they've reached the laws and she's still gotten involved and stopped mm -hmm. them from going through until they've been amended. Yeah. I was just doing some reading up on it. So I just want to make sure that people understand that it's not just this one thing where she's gotten involved and she's gotten involved in a number of laws which she's felt may have... Um, affected her personal or private interests. Yeah. I mean, I think with this story, it's like, I mean, come on, is anybody actually surprised? I mean, a, a lot of people will be surprised. And that's, yes. and that's why, yeah, and that's why it's important that this stuff comes out. You know, a lot She's of the people... head of the Commonwealth is absolutely a surprise. It um... should be actually really working for the royal household would be a great opportunity. No. Because yes, they, because they have um, secondments for people coming from Canada, coming from Australia and coming from um, New Zealand to come and work in the royal household and they have a rotation. No, what their, I mean is... Because it's their comms roles. Yeah, But yeah, they no. don't have any rotations from any other Commonwealth countries, only those three within the royal household and they have for a long time. D don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything good about this. It's disgusting, obviously. You're what saying, I'm saying that we're surprised and I'm saying, yes, I am. You're, you're really surprised. 
Price that Buckingham Correct. Palace in the night in the late sixties said we don't want any black or brown people at the front of house roles. You're surprised at yes. that? Yes. Come on, you can't be surprised. The world, the royal institution is supposed to be an international institution. They should be bringing in people from the Commonwealth. Yeah, but we know they they're not. I know, but they're supposed to be fostering relationships with the Commonwealth. So it doesn't make any sense to me why they wouldn't have attaches from different countries coming in to to you know. Even work, it's like the idea of, you know, as potentially as, um, not PR, but as fostering relationships with the, with the countries in um, individual capacities as well as and taking it back to their own countries. It would, it's very surprising that they didn't have anything like that. I mean, course, yeah, but, yeah. but again, like, we know that they don't care about, we know that there's no love, no great love in most of these circles for the places where we come from. Like, again, I'm not surprised. Why are we surprised? I wouldn't be surprised if this was the practice up until the nineties, the noughties. I wouldn't be surprised. Like it's still the pre- basically it's <laughs> it's still now because I was reading up recently. The numbers are you know minuscule at best, and um, none of them are in any executive roles whatsoever. There are there's been two, I believe, in clerical roles on government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what's so important in the twenty twenty ones. And I think we're uh, basically in the same position. Something that's important to note with that is as well is that. You know, a lot of I've seen some people. Some people would push back and say, "Oh, well, if they only started hi- more a more diverse hiring practice in the '90s, well, you've got to give it time." Well, no, that doesn't quite work with especially yeah. the royal household because they get people from different parts of government. So it's not a thing where oh, you have to work your way up within within the royal household. No, they get people like all of their private secretaries are people who were formerly uh, lead civil servants in the army. and things like or, or, the or from army, the military. Yeah, yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, it's calling me surprised. Um, I think with this, I think it's important because that the prime, the main reason I think it's important that stuff like this comes out is that there are people who would be surprised and they should, they sh- their eyes need to be opened. There are, there, are, there are massive portions of this country who are blind to both recent history and also present disparities that are, I, that for, for many of us is just, okay, yeah, it's Tuesday. Like for me, this is, oh, it's Tuesday. Um, but yeah, that's why I was surprised that like, you're surprised. I didn't think you would be surprised. I think with this, though, um, I think you're I'm not surprised in the sense that, yes, the institution is racist. I'm <laughs> I mean, surprised in the sense that I wouldn't do better. I'm yeah, surprised yeah. in the uh, in the way that I would have thought that of all the um, levers of, not government, but of uh, power, that they would have some sort of um, direct relationship with the Commonwealth and bringing people in and doing ex- cultural exchanges or work exchanges wow. it seems like something I mean, that would be smart and beneficial but you know every week you shock me not. one week one week you shock me with how much of an arch, arch brexiteer you are and then this week you shock me by an arch brexiteer and Who this said week all of that? and this week you shock me by you know your you, by you you think that there's some sort of great investment in the commonwealth come on now we know the commonwealth. no i don't think there's a graph for the, we know the like commonwealth the, the is optics, basically i think the now. optics of it i think the optics of it would have been something that they would have considered but you know what do i know sorry what who said anything about me being a great brexiteer i mean different topic we'll do that another time but yes um oh, oh, I was wow just, you've come on here to laying, slander me i was just laying out a pattern um but i mean yeah yes i contain multitudes <laughs> um i mean do you want anything else to add on it do you have anything else to add on on, on this story i think and i've just asked you a question one thing i'll add last thing i'll add is that <laughs> no you know a lot of the coverage has been well. The coverage that where there has been coverage because obviously it's been you know it's buried Wednesday news. Um, there was you know a lot of people sort of talking about how you know this is the Queen doing this, the Queen doing that X Y and Z. I mean, come on! Like in the same way that you wouldn't 
lay you wouldn't say that some ceo is the person who directed every single policy especially down to personnel hiring um in their company okay, but the buck stops with them of course That's the buck stops with them but we're talking about statement. agency yeah but we're talking the, the discussion is about agency not responsibility of course she's the responsible. same way you know um what's her name had to resign because of the windrush scandal even though she wasn't the architect theresa may was because she was in power the buck stops with her the buck stops with the queen at the end of the day you are the you create the um the the, the attitude of the workplace that you have and so it's clear that from you that the attitude within your workplace mm -hmm. is that you don't want no ethnics around you <laughs> and you don't want to see any of their faces basically that's what it's, that's what it comes across as i don't want to see any ethnic faces unless it, i have to if they're heads of state for me i i buy into the whole thing that she is pretty benign now now let me let me just pr put a quick caveat on that before you or anybody else Please listening calls, calls me naive this mm. the institution the men in gray suits the firm they're not so that's the not, men they're in gray suits as or, if the, the women in gray suits too. doesn't have any as if the queen of saying, doesn't have any agency i'm not saying they're not benign I, they have massive influence i think that should be again that should be continually investigated but I think her as an individual, I just think people put way too much stock in the actual day-to-day -day power she exerts. I just don't think she does. She is the based head of a former everything colonial empire. She has agency. She has responsibility. I don't think she has agency. So for those of you who do not have lives like me and can remember back to the heady days of the 2019 Conservative Party leadership race, uh, there were a lot of the, I think, I think pretty much all of the main contenders committed to instituting an investigation into Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. Begrudgingly. Um, well, yes, indeed. Uh, this week, anyway, uh, the report was released and it the headline was no institutional racism pertaining to Islamophobia in the Conservative indeed. Party. Indeed. Take it indeed. away. Indeed. Take it away. They uh, found the same... <laughs> This is even funny. They got the exact same results as the civil report. I mean, what a wow. How did they manage that? I do think it's important to point out to, uh, that this investigation was actually limited to the complaint process rather than the overall culture and um, institution of the Conservative Party. It was limited to the complaint process. So it was, I think that as well, um, one obviously that capped what they were going to find so they found that there was no institutional racism in the complaints process but also it's important to point out that no Muslim MPs have went on the record for the uh, investigation at all not, not not one so it's quite clear I think that MPs within the party just didn't put any stock in the, investi in the investigation and it was very much seen as um, a whitewash from the start uh, Yes, Sadiq Khan got the leadership candidates to agree to an inquiry into Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. What we've got in 2021 is obviously something very different. They found that there was no institutional racism, and that was after investigating 727 discrimination complaints with 496 relating to Islamophobia. 231 of those complaints resulted in sanctions 50% resulted in suspension and 29% resulted in people being expelled from the party. They did find a culture of Islamophobia um, within the local um, wings of the party. 
not institutional Islamophobia, but you know, a general air of anti-Muslimness. Um, but they said overall there was no institutional racism. And also they found that the whole complaints process was slow and clunky. And so actually that is what contributed to there not being any systemic Islamophobia because the way that they dealt with all complaints was across the board atrocious. So they couldn't, there could not have been a systemic anti-Muslim um, sentiment in the way that they dealt with complaints because they were generally rubbish at dealing with them all. I don't, you know, I mean, it's a bit depressing to be honest. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that there's no systemic uh, Islamophobia in the Conservative Party, Corey? I think that a lot of these discussions just stop at first base with so much fixation on the word systemic, institutional, structural, because what it allows, it allows people who want to deny that there's ever a problem to point to, to a line like that, where the person who wrote the report, I believe she was called... Alice. Yes, Professor Singh. Forgotten her first name. Anyway, it allows people to point to somebody like that who who may write a summary, or like Sewell did in the race in the race and ethnic disparities report. They can point to a line and say, "Hey, look, that person who wrote the report said there's no institutional racism." Okay, let's pack up and go home. And mm. and then you get all of these, you know, asinine arguments about, "Ooh, structural. Oh, it's not systemic. It's not structural." Like, just look, at the end of the day, just a bit anti-Muslimy. You know, these words have their place, but they're not the whole thing. And again, it just allows it just allows for facile debate from as far as I'm concerned. I mean, obviously there is a problem. There is an obvious problem when it comes to race in the UK. There's obviously a problem when it comes to Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. Like, you know, this person herself, she she's, you know, of the, I think you, you quoted the number of complaints total that, you know, complaints period that was submitted to the Conservative Party in, in that year. I think it was 2019 to 2020. Two thirds of them were about Islamophobia. So, mm -hmm. you know, but the thing is, these are the same people who will turn around to the Labour Party and say they've got a massive anti-Semitic problem. And I, I hate doing both sides because sometimes it isn't a case of both sides. But I mean, in this case, you can't turn around to the to Labour Party and say, you know, and complete and continually badger them that they have a problem. Of course, you point it out, but you then can't turn around. I mean, you can if you're a hypocrite, but you can't turn around and then say, oh, but we don't have a problem when you clearly have a problem as well. Clearly do. Um, People in the party are shouting about it. But on that, both sides, when I was reading about this story in all of the comments, every single comment um in comment section were think there was a there was oh but what about the Labour Party and what about this and it was like guys the Labour Party have had their report. So for our final domestic story of this week we are looking at Peter Crudus. Peter Crudus or rather Baron Crudus who is now in the House of Lords. He was raised to the House of Lords I believe last year by Boris Johnson against advice and suspiciously three days after he was he became a Lord he donated a whopping half a million pounds to the Conservative Party. Um, yeah. I'll leave it to you to comment. So uh, Peter Crudus is the only person to uh, have been uh, raised to the Lords, having been advised by the uh, Independent Commission not to have gone ahead. He's the first and only person to have still been raised to the Lords. And it's the first time that um, advice from the Independent Commission has been ignored by a prime minister. He, the reason that this is such a scandal is because previously in 2012, 
Crades, um, uh, the Tory party treasurer at the time, was caught in a scandal where he was found to be offering uh, cash for access to David Cameron. So he was telling journalists and other people that if they donated to the Tory party, they could have access to David Cameron and private meetings to senior members of the Tory party to influence uh, legislation or whatever it is that they might want to talk to him them about. Uh, he then, I believe, sued for defamation and the Court of Appeal found the allegations to be true. So he went to court and then man said, you're a liar. You absolutely were doing this. Boris has claimed in a letter that he wrote to the Independent Commission that since 2012, Peter Crudders has, you know, made large contributions to charity and to business. And a Tory party investigation found no intentional wrongdoing on his behalf. So he's just a poor, sad, sad, put upon man who was just trying his best to help his party. And he didn't really mean to be doing anything wrong when he was offering money for services for, with the prime minister of this country. It was just all a terrible confusion on his part. Uh, Peter Cardus has previously been noted as the richest well, the man worth the most in the city of London and was um, found to be worth 865 million pounds. Yeah, oh, and also just as an, a lovely little aside, uh, Boris Johnson has raised concerns from the Speaker of the House of Lords, so the Lord Speaker, for the sheer number of peerages that he has given out in the first 12 months of him being Prime Minister. This guy is so shady, Oh my goodness gracious, what on earth is going on back there? I mean, we know what's going on. They're giving away money. It's basically flying out in front of our eyes, taxpayer money, mind you. Uh, soon, you know, so uh, when our taxes go up next year, once COVID is over, we're all going to be in for a very rude awakening because all of these money, all this money that they're giving out, we're going to have to pay back. So what do you think of the uh, behaviour of your Prime Minister, Corey? Who's Prime Minister? Oh, my Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Oh, you mean my Prime Minister who also raised his own brother to the House of Lords, uh, who's raised his own brother to the House of Baron Lords. Baron Johnson yeah. of Marlebon. I mean, mm -hmm. like Marlebon as well, cheeky. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. I mean, like it's a joke, well, isn't it? At this point, you have to just laugh. Like, what is going? It's like it's like we're in an episode of The Thick of It or something. And for anybody who hasn't watched The Thick of It, it's an excellent political comedy satire, dark theatre um, by Armando Iannucci. Watch it. It'll be on BBC iPlayer. I just, I just, uh, what, what do you? Yeah, what I do you mean, say? It's just, it, I, I just never, I what? never, I, I never want it. to hear, I never want to hear any of these people talk about corrupt African leaders ever again. I don't want to hear it. 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 It's just, um, I mean, like you said, it's the first time that, some, that um, the, the advice, the advice from that independent commission that says, okay, no, we don't think this guy would be a good idea to raise to the House of Lords. It's the first time that advice has just been rejected. Three days mm -hmm. later, the guy gives half a million pounds to the Tory party. I mean... Uh, the Prime Minister wrote to the Commission on his behalf saying, no, no, he didn't mean it. Since then, he's donated money to this and the other. Of course he's donated money. He's rich. He's I, donated money to you. At this, this point, is the same guy who said he didn't know where the £200,000 came from to um, <laughs> renovate his flat. £200,000 was paid for something for the Prime Minister, and he just said he didn't know where it came from, and nobody thought to do any sort of investigation. I mean... 
it's all so dodgy like can this like can the prime minister be bought and if so that's a problem who who's to say that you know one day that the, if the russians don't offer him money he's not going to do what they want like i said i just never want to hear liability. about i never want to hear about corrupt african leaders ever again in my entire life it's um, absolutely disgusting you know like all I, all I can think of right now, there's a um, a line in the Bible, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. Like, just open your eyes. If anybody thinks this isn't shady, open your eyes. But then then, but then the question is, what what's done about it? And then, and then you just have to ask, well, where's the opposition? Where's the opposition? Where's the fourth estate? Where are these people? The opposition is out here saying that they, sh- they don't need to call for anybody to be fired or to lose their jobs or even to have any sort of extra scrutiny because it's a time of the pandemic, you know. So Keir doesn't feel like he needs to hold anybody to account because COVID's going on. And I don't know what's going on with the, for- with the fourth estate. Outside of The Guardian, does anybody seem like they're holding the government's feet to the fire? Is anyone holding this government to the account? Is The Telegraph? Is The Times? Is The Sunday? Is The Sun? No, maybe the mirror. That's it. And the ones, the Daily Mail definitely is not going to be doing it. <laughs> so, and realistically, they have the most readers in the country. So if these, these papers that have the most readers in the country are not holding the government to account because they're on their payroll or not even that they're just buddy-buddy, then we're absolutely up a creek without a paddle. So I'll be doing Across the Pond this week. Aren't you guys so lucky? Uh, uh, excuse me, I did it the other day, so please don't start. Anywho, <clears throat> my story for this week is the Ghanaian president has said that Ghana will no longer be expo- exporting raw cocoa to Switzerland and potentially other European countries. This is because he is trying to reduce the dependence of on production and to quote, has stated that there can be no future prosperity for Ghanaians in medium, short, or long-term if they remain dependent on production and export, export, exporting of raw materials. So uh, Ghana is the second largest exporter of uh, raw cocoa in the world with the largest being Cote d'Ivoire. Um, as of 2019, the cocoa industry was 130 billion with Ghana making 2 billion of that 130 billion, that's in dollars, and exporting almost 45% of the world's cocoa. So, you know, this is something that's actually been tried before. It was previously tried by um, Nkrumah, and his, what he actually tried to do was to uh, harvest the cocoa and then store it in barrels so he could also control the, um, the price supply. a lot. The supply and then, that could, you know, like how they do with OPEC, and yeah. basically controlling how much is out there in the world mm-hmm. so that can um, will affect the prices. You know, conspiracists or, you know, uh, extreme uh, cynics might say that this has contributed to his overthrow, you know. I will or won't say anything about that, but... In conspiracists, we know Kwame Nkrumah was taken out. Kwame Nkrumah, no. by the way, being the first president of Ghana, of independent Ghana. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, but I don't want anyone to say that I'm a raving loony who's talking about the CIA coming in and blah, blah, blah. Hey, blah. I didn't say who took him out. I just said taken out. So I didn't put <laughs> the blame at anybody. So any listening, I didn't put the blame anywhere. I just said he was taken out. So this is this is uh, great 
um, not, well, not great. This is a really ambitious and I think long overdue on Ghana's part, um, President Nana Afua, is that how you say it? Addo? Don't ask me, I believe so. Uh, yeah. So he has basically said that they're going to be moving production in-house. So what happens is Ghana uh, harvests the cocoa and then they export it out, out to whoever wants it. So their plan is to stop exporting it, to produce it in-house, um, refine it, turn it into chocolate and then export it. There are gonna be some barriers to entry as trade restrictions um, basically um, bar finish the finished products in a lot of countries, especially in Europe, they want to uh, make the finished products in-house or in other places for whatever reasons. And so far, currently, um, farmers are paid 45 cents for the production of cocoa. And there has been a lot of arguments in terms of with the uh, overall cocoa body, the Ghanaian cocoa body, in, which also includes the um, Cote d'Ivoire and um, US exporters and importers because they're not paying the living, the living wage that they've said that they're going to pay to um, Ghanaian farmers. And so a lot of them are living in, on the poverty line and there's about 800,000 of them. So this is an aim to one, keep the money in house, increase the share of profits that they're getting from the cocoa industry and increase the living um, conditions of their, agri their agricultural cocoa industry in Ghana as well. I think a lot more countries are going to be doing this. A lot more countries are going to be, be um, a little bit more protectionist because Africa is a large exporter of raw materials, which then go on to finance massive billion dollar industries. Whereas if they can move even a little bit of refinery and production in-house, it will affect the um, control that they have on the world stage and, and that they have in trade agreements and also how much money that they're making. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. Um... Yeah, me too. Um, I'm, I'm following a lot of the developments in Africa at the minute, African Union, lots of trade talks. Um, Prime Minister of Jamaica said the other day that he wants the Caribbean to be the sixth region of the African Union, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, bringing together some closer bonds in the diaspora. So I am cautiously optimistic, but this is certainly sounds like a good move. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.